Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Today's the second part of my conversation with Katie Gaffney, who's a registered dietitian, as well as Lauren Brader, who's a licensed professional counselor at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health's Emotional Eating Program in Princeton, New Jersey. And during this part of the conversation, really what we focused on is how to tell if changing eating habits during the coronavirus pandemic are becoming problematic. We also focused heavily on how to be positive social supports for people who are struggling with eating disorders. I uh, really enjoyed my conversation with them, and I hope you guys find this helpful. Just on, on the other end of, of things is that as we're perhaps in a less active lifestyle mm-hmm. right now, um, again, we, we don't have quite as much opportunity to, to go out and be active physically or socially. So right now we also, that lessened activity might in some ways alter our hunger cues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, we might have less of a feeling that, oh, wow, I'm really hungry right now. And, and a component of that could certainly be emotional if we're mm-hmm. anxious rest. But even because we're, we're just doing less in a given day, we might not feel quite as hungry. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the body isn't hungry, but it definitely tricks the mind into saying, oh, I don't need this meal. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm sleeping in later now. And so therefore, I don't feel quite as hungry when I get up in the morning. Okay, maybe I get this message, then it's okay to skip breakfast. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's kind of really interesting to me about this is that there's such like a it's I mean it sounds like there's such an array of uh, responses to all this you know people could either really be eating a lot less or they could be eating a lot more I'm just thinking for myself for whatever reason I I have been eating a lot less in the past like two months or whatever it's been and I think I've actually lost a little bit of weight but I know for a lot of people that's not the case some people are doing more snacking or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I guess sort of in that vein, I'm wondering if we can talk about on both ends of the spectrum, how can I tell if I happen to be eating less right now, how can I tell when that's becoming a problem? And on the opposite end of the spectrum, if I'm eating more or I think I might be snacking a lot more, maybe binge eating or whatever. How can I tell when that might be becoming a problem? It's a great question. I I do think that the function of the eating less or eating more is really important. Mm -hmm. So asking yourself, is, is it that I'm really not hungry in this moment? And is that lack of hunger based on an emotion or is that based on a physical urge, desire, et cetera? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if, for example, because I'm more anxious with work or because I'm trying to take care of the kids and balance work at the same time, you know, is that what's fueling me skipping the meal, that anxiety? Right. Or is it I am just feeling less hungry and that's, you know, the physical response that's coming up for me right now. I have less of a need for, for the fuel. Yeah. Most more often 
often than not, it, it, it is, you know, whether it's restricting or on the other end, you know, the mindless eating or, or, or overeating. And, and sometimes, you know, you know, often with mindless eating, boredom is mm-hmm. the underlying emotion. Right. So if we're having trouble differentiating, like, well, I don't really feel like I'm feeling anything right now. It's probably boredom or emotional numbness. So mm-hmm. those are emotional responses that might be harder for us to differentiate in a moment. Mm-hmm. But I mean, realistically also, you know, Ultimately, our meal plan shouldn't necessarily be shifting all that much based on the fact that we're in isolation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like, at least based on that explanation, that there's really much of a difference between, you know, maybe binge eating or eating a little bit more versus eating less. It's more of thinking about is your behavior tied to that emotional experience, whether it's anxiety or or depression or, or whatever it doesn't really sound like there's a big difference b- between whether you're eating more or eating less it's more thinking about the emotion is that right yeah and yeah. there is a component of your behavior that is coming out of a need or desire to alter your physical state so i want to lose x number of pounds because i want to look like this person that would be another red flag okay and also perhaps eating in a way to avoid emotions or express them, right? So it can be as a result of certain emotions and maybe it's difficult to sit with. Um, I also am thinking that eating from a place of emotions, um, I'd be curious about how often that happens um, because I think it, it is quite natural and normal to on occasion have an emotional cue to eat. Um, So we talk about food as fuel, food is also enjoyment, it's celebration. It is very natural to eat from from other cues and then the mindfulness around how often are these cues coming up for me? Or what are the nature of these cues, right? Or how different does my eating look? How do I feel after? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, maybe I go to this party and I celebrate with food and it feels really great in the moment. And then afterward, I feel a, an overwhelming amount of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And I ask mm-hmm. myself the question, where is that guilt and shame coming from? While I have this internal, you know, thought pattern or all or nothing thinking around, you know, the ways I should be eating, how I should be looking and how I'm not aligning with that, you know, that might be also another cue as to, okay, perhaps this might be behavioral in some way. Mm -hmm. What I think I'm hearing is it's really trying to pay attention to your thought process before you're eating, you know, am I choosing to eat or not eat right now based on an emotion that I'm feeling while you're eating and then even after you're eating, how am I feeling after I just ate that meal? Am I feeling guilty? Am I feeling shame? So it sounds like a large part of maybe trying to tease out whether or not this is something you may need help with is tied to like your thought process about it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Are there any other sort of red flags that maybe this is something that you do need to take a closer look at? Well, certainly I think if you're having physical signs or symptoms, then that might be something, another way we could also look at this. So for example, if Mm -hmm. we are perhaps only averaging a meal or two meals a day and we're feeling 
consistently low energy, low motivation, physically weak, maybe I'm getting more frequent headaches, things along those lines might be an indication, okay, I'm not getting enough nutrients for the body. And is that something I feel I can alter independently? Mm-hmm. Or am I having resistance to try and add that extra meal into my day? Sure. Um, when we do feel feelings, how intense are they? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we speak, you know, kind of informally um, about hanger and anxiety, <laughs> right? Um, uh-huh. And there's a kind of yeah. truth to both. Oh, right? that's a um, that's a big emotion in in my household that that we are very familiar with. Yeah. yeah. Um, how we're able to go about our daily tasks are they more difficult? So mm-hmm. things like standing up for prolonged periods of time before um, you know doing any kind of cleaning or showering or cooking, mm-hmm. right? Like. If there's any changes to hand grip strength, I know it might sound oddly specific, but that can be a determinant of um, muscle strength and how we're doing um, like energy-wise and and health-wise. I mean, there's a lot of different indicators. Eating disorders affect all body systems across um, the spectrum of eating disorder symptoms. So... uh, if anybody's hearing this right now and thinking, well, you know, my eating is different and yet I can open a jar of pickles just fine. Um, there are a lot of ways in which eating disorders can impact the body. So, mm-hmm. um, I encourage, you know, if, even if we list examples that you're not quite resonating with, um, it's not just like, a, like keeping an eye out. Yeah. I wanted to add going, um, perhaps against, dietary recommendations. So I'm thinking, you know, for individuals that perhaps struggle with a diabetic condition mm-hmm. and yet we're still actively binging and we're seeing, you know, our blood sugars running high, like that might be an indicator that we might have a problem with, with our eating. Mm-hmm. All right. So we talked about sort of three different ways that the coronavirus may be affecting people that struggle with the eating disorders. Is there anything, any other ways that you think that the current situation may be affecting people with eating disorders? Yeah, um, I'm thinking of how we talk about weight and how we talk about who's at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've heard and seen um, guidelines around like if folks are on the higher end of the weight spectrum, that they are higher risk, mm. and I think that. Um, that can place additional fear on folks who are in larger bodies. And um, it, I think, reinforces that weight stigma of Mm -hmm. if you are on the higher end of the weight spectrum, then you are not well. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with you, right? Which has been an idea, um, again, either outright or discreetly or a mix of both. Um, That has been an idea that's been floating around for a while now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's ramped up these days and also kind of speaking to like the talk around food and exercise that we um, mentioned earlier it reinforces this idea that to be in a larger body is wrong and we must avoid it at all costs mm-hmm. right that, that can be a, a potential um, way that it is interpreted right so mm-hmm. it does you know we speak of taking a non-judgmental stance it could reinforced judgments that um, people have about body size, Mm -hmm. right? All right. So um, 
we talked a lot about how the coronavirus and the current situation could be affecting people with eating disorders. And I guess um, one of the things I really wanted to hit on during this podcast is for people who are listening who might be the family member or the support system for someone who is struggling with a binge eating disorder or or a more restrictive eating disorder, I guess two questions. What are things in general you would like to tell them in terms of the best way to support someone with an eating disorder in general, but then also are there things they can be doing right now based on sort of the current situation, taking the current situation into account that you found to be more helpful? Absolutely. I mean, I think emotional validation goes such uh, such a long way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for perhaps for family members that might not understand the struggle of what eating disordered thinking or behaviors can bring up for, for folks really trying to have a compassionate way in which we are speaking to to our loved ones and, and really acknowledging how much emotion and how much emotional distress can come out of the thoughts that they're feeling, the urges that they're having. It might not be something that we ourselves can understand approaching food in a meal. And mm-hmm. we might feel like, you know, perhaps they're being extreme in that moment and really just perhaps sitting in front of food can be so incredibly distressing for them. Mm-hmm. So having the patience and emotionally validating, asking a lot of, you know, what is it that you need from me? Is there a way I can support you right now? And, you know, if they say no, then respect the no. Mm-hmm. You know, really asking directly, is there something I can do to support you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to the food piece and how that's approached at home, um, I encourage supports to take inventory of their own thoughts and feelings about food because we all have our, we all bring different perspectives to the table, mm-hmm. our own judgments, our own relationships to food, and being mindful of how food is talked about at home. Um, so there is this concept of food neutrality where we shift from that there are good foods and there are bad foods mentality um, because the reality is is that the body metabolizes food without judgment. Mm-hmm. It breaks it down into carbohydrates, proteins, fats, vitamins, minerals. And while foods are of different makeups, they all offer something depending on the context, right? Mm-hmm. So this isn't necessarily to say that people have to suddenly be really, really, really careful about what they say or really, really have to get it right all the time. Mm-hmm. Begin experimenting with what it's like to shift talk about food to using just the facts um, based on one's comfort level and their, and their knowledge of nutrition, right? Like you don't necessarily have to know everything about food either. So one example um, could be around pizza, right? So say I have the judgment that pizza's bad or oh, I'm ordering it, oh, I shouldn't, right? Um, and in my wise mind, I know that pizza can represent different food groups and it is a valid option for dinner um would it would we want it to be the only option for the end of time no that would get played out um, so say i'm living with someone i don't know i might not mind that so much huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they were living with someone who is experiencing an eating disorder and um maybe part of their work in therapy is exposure and you're ordering pizza um and maybe i have my own feelings about pizza 
I would, you know, acknowledge them in, in my mind. And as I'm speaking, yeah, we're having pizza for dinner. That's a fact, right? Yep. It is a meal option. Mm-hmm. I can I can choose to have more pizza. I could choose to have something with it, right? So those are all ways to describe what's happening without saying, ah, oh, we fell off the wagon or, oh, I don't know about you, but I'm going to have to make up for this. Like any kind of thoughts around that. And it's not to say that, you know, if you've ever said something like this, that now suddenly you're a bad person. Because again, mm-hmm. we all have our own thoughts and feelings about food and it can be an opportunity to shift towards a way of talking about food that might benefit more than one family of the household. Maybe it alleviates some of the pressures on yourself, right? Like not like we want to shift the focus away from the loved one. And mm-hmm. there, there could potentially be a mutual benefit. Another thing too is brushing up on your knowledge of eating disorders and getting support for yourself too, mm-hmm. uh, because having a loved one with an eating disorder can be stressful, right? And there is a lot of information out there and there are a lot of resources out there. I can speak to one that I'm familiar with, although this will just be a sampling of what's out there, but the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness has a support group for families and friends of those who have eating disorders. So if you are curious and are looking for support, they are offering virtual resources. Um, There are a lot of other organizations out there, including the National Eating Disorders Association, Mm -hmm. um, among many others that are out there. So um, definitely do your research and consider getting support too and, and having that community and we, we think about building community um and maybe new creative ways right now yeah i'm so glad you brought that up it's i could imagine so so challenging and stressful and and heartbreaking some at times to be the family member of someone with an eating disorder right it's it's, it's similar to substance use in that fact you know, if you really love someone, you don't want to see them continue to harm themselves. You know, as much as we talk about ways that people with eating disorder issues can take care of themselves, you know, even on a separate podcast, maybe we could address how people who are the family member or the loved one of, of someone with that can take care of themselves. Because it's, oh, it, it's very difficult to be a positive support for someone if you're not taking care of yourself in the process. Yeah, it's hard not to, to take on that recovery yourself and as best you can really identifying with your own self-care and recognizing you are there to support your loved one emotionally. The, the recovery process around the eating disorder itself will be individual mm-hmm. to that person and, and just reminding yourself yourself of that. Yeah, no, great point. And then Lauren, you said really like respecting the no when maybe you ask someone if they there's a way you can support them and they say and then they tell you there's not really anything you can do uh i guess i'm wondering if you can just elaborate on that a little bit yeah i think there there's two perspectives to take around that and one i think it's important to recognize that everyone is at a different stage of change around their eating disorder mm-hmm. So to acknowledge that some might be at a place of simply contemplating that, you know, perhaps uh, an avenue of recovery or some might be in complete denial that 
they even have an eating disorder and some might be trying to, you know, they're, they're well within their path to, to be on recovery. So that being said, being like, I think understanding and recognizing we can't push individuals in our support network to be at a place of readiness. If they're not, Mm -hmm. we have to provide perhaps gentle encouragement, you know, for them to put themselves first, you know, highlighting perhaps our own emotions around what we're seeing and how that might be bringing up distress for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, for those that are in the recovery process, they are committed and are are trying independently to work on the process. There, there might be there. I can understand the anxiety of perhaps wanting to insert ourselves into that process more. Like, mm-hmm. can I manage your meals for you, or can I sure. you know, keep you on track mm-hmm. and encourage you to eat right now? And and really just understanding that the the importance of coming to to a place of management with our eating disorder is about the individual being able to move forward and make the choices that are being encouraged by encouraged by the treatment team. Mm-hmm. So we're there as cheerleaders. And even if we're seeing that loved one struggle with the meal, really respecting their boundaries and off, offering the support that they are outreaching to us for. Mm-hmm. If they want support, you know, distracting during the meal because that would help them, then absolutely, you know, feel free to, you know, provide that and just sort of riding the wave of that urge to want to rescue those that we see, those that we see struggling because in some ways, you know, we might be reinforcing things or enabling behaviors. So it's a delicate balance depending on where everyone is at in terms of understanding that they have an eating disorder versus being in a path of trying to work on managing it listen thank you guys so much for doing this you know it was great and uh just thank you guys for being here thank you today's podcast was sponsored by pen medicine princeton house behavioral health New Jersey's clinical leader in inpatient and intensive outpatient mental health and substance use treatment. All right, that's it for the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it and found it useful, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye.